0: Good evening. Um, my name is Eric, and I'm going to take us through John 17, verse three. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or it's right there in the next uh, next little part of your bulletin. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that you would help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit as we consider this uh, beautiful word of your son, Jesus, that he spoke to you in prayer. We pray that you would shape our lives entirely by this word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, preliminarily, uh, I consider it a great honor and privilege to be asked to preach at this uh, service of Charlie's installation. Uh, Thanks for asking me to do that, Charlie. Charlie and I, uh, I consider him a really good friend. Uh, We're in substantial agreement when it comes to uh, what we call a philosophy of ministry in the church. Um, You know, what what church ministry is about. what the things are that we're supposed to be doing as ministers in the church and leaders and elders and uh, just the church itself, how it, you know, what, what it looks like to do ministry, what that means. And uh, <clears throat> so he had suggested that I preach on that in some ways, in some way talk about our, you know, philosophy of ministry. And in one sense uh, that made it pretty easy to find a scripture passage because our philosophy of ministry that we share is just basically talk about Jesus all the time. So uh, <clears throat> you know, I just had to find something to to preach that was about that. Um, but this is uh, one of my favorite verses. I couldn't help thinking about this verse. Uh, so we're we're talking about this tonight. Uh, these are the very words of Christ himself uh, that he spoke in prayer. We get this glimpse into the relationship between the Father and the Son in his high priestly prayer. It's the most important prayer that he ever prayed for his people in John 17. The whole chapter's about that. Uh, the high priestly prayer, the night that he um, uh, that he was betrayed, the night before his great sacrifice on the cross. So Leslie Newbigin uh, said that the prayer leads us into the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus, into the very heart of Christ's own ministry and message. That's where this prayer is going. Uh, so we imagine that these words would be very important to someone, who would learn about ministry from Jesus and share his own philosophy of ministry. Uh, you cannot find more profound words recorded in the scriptures, and these words really do govern uh, every aspect of our life with God as Christians in the church. So I think it's appropriate for us to consider uh, this uh, this tonight, to remember and reflect on these words on the occasion of the installation of your new, your new pastor. Uh, we should all reflect on these words for the rest of our lives. Uh, children, if you know what homework is, um, This is your homework for the rest of your life. Uh, Think about Jesus. Um, We should reflect on this. We could easily spend our whole lives in wonder at the sheer reality of who it is that's lifting up his eyes to heaven and praying these words. Just, Just the fact that Jesus is praying, who Jesus is, what he's doing here as he prays, you should do that. Spend your lifetime considering the one who prays these words. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being of one substance with the Father, He's very God of very God. He's the true God. He's the eternal God. He's the only God that there is. He's the whole God, Jesus is, in the flesh. God having become truly and perfectly human, and and now he's praying to God the Father, who is the true God, the eternal God, the only God, the whole God. So consider this relationship between the Father and the Son that's been opened up to us, uh, not just for us to behold and to say how nice for jesus that he has a relationship with god the father right it's been opened up to us uh, for us to participate in this relationship through uh, the holy spirit so in fact you're doing this you're spending your lifetime in wonder considering god considering jesus is essentially the answer to jesus prayer here it's the the uh, the answer to the high priestly prayer it's the definition of life itself He says this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life in the Bible is not just when your heart continues to beat forever, Um, not just the the indefinite continuation of uh, chemical and electrical activity in your brain, right? Um, Jesus defines eternal life by its spiritual nature. Its essence is knowing God relationally. It's having a relationship with God and with Christ where you know him someone who doesn't know Jesus, the scriptures say uh, that that person is dead to God. That person is dead spiritually. Uh, that person does not have spiritual life, even if their heart's still beating, even if their heart were to continue beating forever. In the Bible, true death is when your relationship with God ends. It's being severed from God, and true life uh, is being in a relationship with God that lasts forever. So that relationship, that life, doesn't just happen out in the future. Uh, That relationship begins now. Eternal life um, has already begun for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. It's not just something that happens after your death, but it carries on forever. We think about it that way quite often. Eternal life carries on forever into the future, never ending, because of what it really is, because of the true nature of it. Because this life, this eternal life, consists of being in a relationship with the ever-living God, then it's a life that will last as long as God lives. That's the way Jesus talks about eternal life. But Jesus, he isn't focusing just on the duration of eternal life here. He's focusing on the nature of it. He says that eternal life consists of knowing God and knowing Jesus. That's what eternal life means, not just for human beings. That's what eternal life is for God himself. The divine glorious life of the triune God is one of mutual knowing. The father knows the son. And the Son knows the Father in the communion, in the mutual knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God has intended for us by making us in his image. By creating us in his image, he's intended us to participate in this glorious eternal life that he has always had, that he shares among the members of the the Trinity. So, um, So Thomas Aquinas said that the purpose and the fruit of our whole life is the knowledge of the Trinity in unity. So not just the knowledge of the doctrine of the Trinity in abstraction, as if uh, this were just an answer you would give on your theology exam and get a passing grade, right? This is the knowledge of God in unity, in union with God. So in the Bible, that language of knowing that Jesus is using here, um, that language of knowing is profoundly personal. It's always this personal, relational, intimate language. It's not like knowing technical information Uh, like like you would read in an operator's manual for some device, right? That's not what the knowledge of God is. This is like a husband knowing his wife on their wedding night when they become intimately familiar with one another at the deepest levels, right? Uh, So it's a knowledge of another person. Knowing in the scriptures is this knowledge of another person that is captivated and absorbed and fascinated by the wonders of who that person is and, and growing... Uh, in an ever deepening knowledge of that person. So maybe it seems impossible to you that God would be so interesting, that you would spend the rest of your life, that the homework for the rest of your life would be actually engaging in coming to know God more deeply, Uh, that Jesus would be so interesting that you could spend the rest of eternity, actually, simply delighting to know him and getting to know him more. Maybe that sounds impossible. So let me just ask, do, do you think God is boring? Do you think you'll ever be bored of God, of who he is? Let me put that question in another way. Do you think that God is bored? Do you think that God is bored? Uh, do you think that the persons of God are bored with knowing each other after all this time? After all eternity, maybe they're bored with knowing each other. Do you think maybe that's why God created the universe, to have something else to think about to distract him because he's bored with all this mutual knowing of other persons in the Godhead? Right? Uh, no. As interesting as the universe is, all the particles and all the places and all the supernovas and uh, sand made of seashells, all the laws of physics and the nature of the elements, the birds who fly, they just hover right through gases, invisible gases, the monsters in the hidden depths of the oceans and the bright corners of the cosmos we'd never seen a million years. As interesting as it all is, the whole creation, all of it together, it is not as interesting as the one true God who made it. Everything that he made is meant to afford an opportunity to know him. Everything that he's made has been meant to afford an opportunity to enjoy him and should never be used to distract ourselves from knowing him. So I've <clears throat> got this illustration. If you know where the Louvre is in Paris, maybe some of you have been there. It's this fantastic, uh, great museum, one of the probably the best museums in the world uh, where they collect all the, the best art um, and display it there for everybody's enjoyment. Well, let's say uh, for the sake of just this uh, this illustration, that um, you're married to the guy who's the architect of the Louvre. He's the one who built uh, and designed the, the Louvre. Not only is he the architect, he's the head curator of all the museum's art. This is an unrealistic uh, illustration. You couldn't possibly do all these things. Not only that, he's the centrally featured artist with a grand exhibit of his own. Right? He's got the best stuff in the Louvre, and he made it. He made the Louvre. He gathered all the art, and he, he uh, made the best art in it. So imagine visiting the Louvre, taking a few days to do it properly, and, uh, and doing that with your spouse, with, with your husband who made it and everything. Uh, imagine doing that without giving a single thought to your spouse, the one whose imagination brought together all that splendor. Imagine not giving a single thought to him Even though it is his voice on the guided tour headset, even though you're in his presence, even though you're walking on his arm as you walk through and and see all the the wonders that he's made, yet you never care to learn from him what makes him who he is. How he could possibly be so uh, creative and so energetic and why he would possibly do the great works that he does because you know, this stuff's all too interesting. I don't wanna spend any time thinking about him, right? Thinking about him is just, it's kind of boring. It's old hat. That would be a really strange thing for you to think since he is your husband, right? And that's the relationship that God has called us into. Uh, boredom with God is not a problem of him actually being boring. It's a problem with our lack of interest. It's a problem with our lack of appreciation. It's a problem with our lack of love. Um, He is interesting. Uh, Maybe you've seen uh, those Dos Equis commercials. The most interesting man in the world. I really like uh, those. Uh, You can you can watch them all on YouTube. Uh, You know, just saying unrealistic, fanciful, amazing things about somebody that are really inspiring, right? Like years ago, he built a city out of blocks, and today over 600,000 people live and work there. (laughs) You know, or his beard alone has experienced more than a lesser man's entire body, or even his enemies list him as their emergency contact number. Uh, <clears throat> people hang on his every word, even the prepositions. Uh, he can speak French in Russian. He's the most interesting man in the world, you know? That's how they go. <clears throat> all things that exist, whether visible or invisible, came from the mind of God. He had all the ideas in the beginning because of who he is, because what kind of God he is. He invented French, he invented Russian, he invented the very idea of language itself. It comes from who he is, he's the word. He's the God who speaks, who communicates, who makes himself known. He imagined up all the ideas of all the people who speak the languages. The idea came from who he is, right? He is persons in relationship. People do hang on his every word, even the prepositions. You've probably heard Charlie talk about prepositions from the word of God. Knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he has sent is the most interesting thing in the world. It's the most magnificent thing imaginable. It is the very essence of eternal life. And it's the gift that Jesus, uh, it cost him uh, to lay down his life for for his people to give this gift, right? So J.I. Packer says, what is the best thing in life? Bring more delight, more joy, and more contentment than anything else, knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. So Jesus is saying that knowing God relationally as the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, this is what life's all about. It's the very definition of life, eternal life, God's life, God-like life. Uh, It's it's the definition and it's glorious. So this, knowing God and knowing Christ whom he sent, this should, this should govern every aspect of our life as Christians in the church, right, So we are here to live out eternal life now, together, already. We're here to live this out. That means knowing God and knowing Jesus. Uh, and that, that knowing God and knowing Jesus should be at the heart of everything we do. Um, all of our ministry is the church. It isn't just one aspect of living eternal life together in the church, as if knowing God uh, relationally were just really something that only happens when you sit down to consider the scriptures, Uh, privately or corporately, everything we do is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Uh, Maybe it's more obvious when it comes to things like studying God's word or or proclaiming God's word, right? So missions work, evangelistic uh, conversations, preaching and teaching and Bible studies. Yeah, we understand these things have to do with knowing God and knowing Jesus. That makes sense. If you say you want someone to have eternal life, you're saying you want them to come to know Jesus, to know God relationally through faith in Jesus. So we wanna learn about Jesus, we wanna come to know him more personally and more deeply, and we wanna teach others about him. And that's how Paul talks about his ministry. That's how I think he really sums it up well, his ministry of teaching in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right, so he doesn't say I decided to teach nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, or talk about nothing except Jesus. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus. And we take that to mean that that he personally knows Jesus in a way that uh, affects his teaching and his teaching affects the way that he knows Jesus. So even when you're teaching others about knowing Jesus, it's an opportunity for you to know him in his sentness, in his crucifixion, in his sacrifice that makes known the love of God to us. That's participation in eternal life according to Jesus, to know him in these ways. <clears throat> so is prayer, maybe that makes sense too. Uh, when we pray, especially when we pray together as the church, we're knowing God in that personal, intimate way, relationally. It's not just in an academic abstract way that we're knowing God when we come to prayer, but we're turning our faces to him. <clears throat> but this definition of eternal life that's given by Jesus himself, it really extends to everything in our lives, more than just thinking and studying and and even praying. um, Community together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is always an opportunity to know Jesus. Uh, Our celebration of things like birth and baptism and marriages in the church, these are opportunities for us to know Jesus. Being called to show hospitality you can get to know Jesus as you are participating in Christian hospitality. Being called to love brothers and sisters who disagree with us, that's an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Being called to forgive those who hurt us, that's an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Being called to grieve, and mourn the death of the saints, to weep with those who weep, that's an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Our generosity our service our mercy our justice they're all opportunities for knowing jesus our suffering is an opportunity for knowing jesus intimately these things all these things are nothing if they're not opportunities for knowing jesus if your hospitality or your forgiveness or your deeds of compassion or or your suffering if they're not opportunities for knowing god for knowing jesus if they're not Therefore, features of eternal life, then what are they? If these are just things that anyone can do apart from a relationship with Jesus, they're not uniquely Christian. Anybody can show hospitality, anybody can do deeds of kindness, anybody can suffer. You don't have to be part of the church in order to do all kinds of religious seeming things eternal life we enjoy means that everything we do is a participation in our relationship with God. Everything we do is done for the sake of knowing Jesus. God in his sovereign providence is arranging all things in your life for the sake of your knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he has sent. That's exactly what Paul wants um, most out of life. Uh, it's what he talks about in Philippians chapter 3. First, he lists all of his religious accomplishments. He re- lists out all of his ministry accomplishments. He was a good, law-keeping, righteous, zealous Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know him, he says, and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So so when we suffer hardships, like Paul is talking about here, especially the pain of relationships when other people sin against us, especially in the church, because that's really hard. Um, God isn't just teaching us lessons or maturing us in some abstract sense. When we suffer hardships, God is granting us the privilege of knowing jesus god is arranging for us to be able to relate to jesus we know jesus knows how to relate to us because he became one of us but here god is giving us the privilege of knowing what it's like for jesus to be who he is he's giving us the privilege of knowing what it's like for him to be god actually to be god in the flesh so when we suffer loss or grief or betrayal or even death it's an opportunity to know jesus most intimately because he's He's experienced all these things. In fact, there's no true knowledge of Jesus apart from knowing him in his sufferings. Uh, He is Jesus Christ crucified that Paul wants to know. He wants to know nothing except Jesus Christ crucified. So if we're truly to know him intimately, God will make us familiar with sufferings like his. That's the gift. That's the gift of eternal life. That's the privilege of eternal life. By the amazing grace of God, it is true that we will not only know him in his suffering, as Paul says, but also in the joy of his resurrection, also in the glory of his ascension to God's right hand. But the main point in all of it is knowing Jesus. The main point in all of it is knowing God. It's the main point of everything in our life as Christians in the church and anything done apart from knowing Jesus is counted as loss. So we're not just here to be good, friendly people who help others, that's great. But the whole purpose of our life is to know God, is to know Jesus, and to catch others up in knowing him as well. That's the Christian ministry that's going to change the world. So, Charlie, let that be the heartbeat of your ministry as a pastor here. And let us all, as Hosea says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, no one has ever plumbed the depths of this prayer that your son prayed on that night that he was betrayed, that prayer made on our behalf. Um, But we pray that you would help us to dive as deeply as possible into the glorious truth of these words. Help us not only to understand your gift of eternal life, but actually to live this blessed life of knowing you and knowing Jesus. Help us to receive every moment as a gift, as an opportunity for relating to you especially in our life together, in our ministry, as your people in the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.